Lord Jesus, I thank you for the testimony shared already today. The way that you are moving in the hearts and lives of your people. Um, the transparency that not only you have called us to, but that we are willing to have with one another. To share struggles, to cry in front of each other, to uh, encourage with scripture and pray over one another. Uh, it is beautiful. I have a feeling that this is way more what it looks like to do church than what most of us are used to. And so I thank you, God, for uh, developing that in us, for helping us truly to come together as a family. So, Lord, now as we come uh, to your word and, and to discuss what we've been working through, I pray that you would just continue to move. Um, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would just meet us in this place, that you would give us wisdom and insight, that, Lord, if there's places we need conviction, that you would convict. Uh, if there's places we need encouragement, that you would encourage. Uh, just come and have your way among us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been working through for about almost the last two months now just the mission that God has called us to the way that God has called us uh, to interact with and reach out to the world around us. And the way that we've been putting it over the last couple weeks is I've been sharing with you from a book called God Space um, that I've been reading through, and uh, that's been kind of spurring some of the conversation. And the way that we've been talking about our approach to the mission, our approach to evangelism, to sharing the good news of Jesus with people, is the place that it has to start is first creating a safe place for people to be able to have spiritual conversations. Creating a place where people can come and ask questions, where they can come and not feel judged, where they can come and know that they are heard. And this is a very difficult thing. It probably always has been, but especially in today's culture, this is kind of a, a bit of a lost art for us. And so we've been trying to work through some very practical things. How do we begin to create this space in the hopes that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Tracking, you guys remember what we've been talking about? Okay. So one of the ways, as we looked at last week, there are four different steps, very practical steps that can help us create this space for people to have spiritual conversations. First is to notice our way into these conversations. First of all, to notice people. We talked about a great prayer to pray every day is, God, help me to see those that you have placed in my path today. When you look at the life of Jesus, one of the most amazing things is as he was walking through any town, village, whatever it was, he noticed all the people that everyone else just walked past. Jesus always noticed the blind, the sick, the, the lame, the beggar, whatever it was, he noticed them. And because he noticed them, he took time for them. One of the tools that we use here is our who are your three, the three people that are close to you but far from God. And we talk about it regularly and we challenge you to pray for them. Why? Because then you will notice them as you go throughout your week. What we, what we challenge you to pray is, God, help me to see the open doors this week with these three people. Not only those three people, we close our eyes to anyone else, but it's getting us in the practice of noticing the people. Because until we notice them, we will never interact with them. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, but for many of us, this is where it has to start. Do I even notice the people that God may be placing in my path, or am I just so focused on my thing and what I need to do? So noticing our way into spiritual conversations. The second step, serving our way. Once we noticed someone, we begin to notice needs that they have. 
Whether it's physical needs, whether it's financial needs, whether it's spiritual needs, whatever it is, once we kind of have our ears perked up and we begin to notice someone, we start looking for what are some ways that I can serve them just as Christ has served me. He came not to be served, but to serve, and he sends us out the same way. And by serving people, we begin to create that safe space. We begin to demonstrate our love for people, and it begins to bring the walls down that they may have had up. The third way is listening our way into spiritual conversations. Seeking to understand before we seek to be understood. Coming in to actually get to know this person, not just waiting for our turn to talk, but coming in, seeking to actually listen. Where are they coming from? What are their hopes and dreams? What is their story? And it's this active kind of listening. And then the last one we talked about last week, wondering our way into spiritual conversations. Being really good question askers. As people are talking and they're sharing their stories and they're sharing the high points and the low points, whatever it may be, always be asking that question. I wonder what's behind that. Man, I wonder. Here's how I would have felt if that happened to me. How'd that feel for you? Trying to help these people wander their way in to spiritual conversations. Helping them to learn to ask good questions as well. Do you guys remember this? Yes? Okay. So let me ask this question to kind of start us off this morning. And this is where I actually want feedback. I want for us to have a bit of a conversation. How does being good at having spiritual conversations differ from being good at other forms of conversation? How is it different? Like we, we, we're putting a label on it, spiritual conversations we're trying to have with people. How does being good at that differ from being good at other kinds of conversations? The Holy Spirit is a part of it? Okay. I don't know how to put this into words, but I know... We'll get there together. Okay. I'm really good. I can sit down. I can talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, when, when bringing spirituality into it, I mean, that's the world's term. It's a very popular one right now, spirituality. When bringing that into a conversation, things just start to get a little more awkward and kind of hard to get started. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there, there's, there's an awkward element. I mean, what are the two things that we don't talk about? It's not polite conversation. <laughs> Religion and politics. And we're going, yeah, let's take on one of those. Like, okay, so for a lot of people, again, we've talked about there's, there's a lot of walls up. And you can run smack dab into those walls and things can get awkward pretty quickly. Right. Or right. Something, it's not like our own adventures. It's like, oh, I saw on Facebook this person did this other thing. 
There's more, there's more of a weight to a spiritual conversation than there is talking about what you saw on Facebook or your favorite sports team or whatever it may be, okay? Anybody else? What's the difference? I think sometimes it's tied to your spiritual gifts. Okay. So we can all have I like I like where you're sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I like where you're going with that and I want actually want to come back and touch on that here in a minute. Yes. Whose college team beat another college team? Why, why would we even bring it up at church? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great thought, Mark. It's a great thought. Yeah, there's like a, especially when you get into aiming towards something spiritual, it's it's way more deep and intimate, and you you have to be unguarded in that, which can be a difficult thing. Okay. So that motive can be different in that. So I'm going to share with you my thoughts on this. When I ask these questions real quick, um, some people, we've, I've had conversations with people and they've been like, well, if you already know the answers, why are you even asking us? Just tell us the answers. I ask these questions a lot of times because I don't know the answer. 
Because these are things that I'm wondering. As I'm working through material or a passage, whatever it may be, I'm going, huh, how do you do that well? Or what does that look like? And so I, when I give you my thoughts on this, I, I always tell people there's certain things that are straight from the word of God and we hold on to them white knuckled. And then there's other things where I go, this is my best thoughts, hold it open handed. This is one of those, hold it open handed. How, do, how does being good at spiritual conversations different from being good at other forms of conversation? I would say it doesn't. I would say we have created a secular, sacred divide. When you talk about your sports team, that's just you. God has nothing to do with it. Somebody even shared in the beginning, and I completely understand. If I, if I point out something you said, I am not in any way like trying to smack you down. Like I, I understand. Somebody said, well, the Holy Spirit is in it when it's a spiritual conversation. And he's what, taking a holiday when I'm talking about the Browns? You know, like, he might. <laughs> it feels like it if you're a Browns fan. Most of you are not. But, yes, it's been a lonely territory. But, but part of it is an awakening to the idea that he is always working and moving. What conversation isn't spiritual? What we find in the scripture is, whether it's us talking as brothers and sisters, it says encourage one another always. It doesn't say take days off, but on Sunday, that's a serious conversation. Every conversation is an opportunity to get to know you more. Why? Because whether you're a believer, a non-believer, wherever it is, I can encourage you toward the hope that you really need. And you can encourage me toward the hope that I really need. When I'm going, oh, man, the Browns are terrible again, and we did this and that, I need someone to go, but it is well with my soul. <laughs> Don't you worry. God is still in control. We, we have this idea that these conversations, we, we use terms like are weightier and are more awkward because we've put them in this very special category that we only pull out at certain times with certain people. Instead of going, what if every conversation was meant to have the same spiritual aspect to it? Because the Holy Spirit is always at work. And we may not talk about Jesus and his work on the cross in that conversation, but I am getting to know this person well. I am deepening my relationship with them. I am beginning to, even as Tim said, begin to let my guard down with them. Because one day, it might be today, it might not, but I have the hope of sharing the good news of Jesus with them, of encouraging a brother or sister along. And so what conversation isn't meant to be spiritual? God, God does not take holidays. He is at no point in time going, my hands are off this one. I'll catch you on the next one. He is always there and working and moving, and his desire is to draw us together so that we can begin to share the good news of Jesus with someone. So part of it, I think, is us just learning every conversation, husbands and wives, parents and children, coworkers, family, is meant to have a spiritual aspect to it because we're talking to people, as we talked about two weeks ago, God has, put the etern God has put eternity in the hearts of every man. Every person, the reason they're so into their sports team is because there is an itch inside of them that they can't scratch, and they think, maybe if this team wins, then I'll feel it. And then the season ends and we start over again. Like All of us, we're drawn to these things because we're looking for the divine in them. Most of us just don't know that. The reason we talk so much like about our, our marriage and it's going good or it's going better, whatever, is because most of us, some of us even wrongly so, have put so much hope in that because if the marriage goes good, then I'll be okay. What we're really looking for is the peace of God. And we need people to come, not only to speak that to us, but also to live that out in front of us. 
And so I think like it's kind of a trick question in a little bit, and forgive me for tricking, but every conversation is a spiritual conversation. There is no normal ones and important ones. It's all part of our loving people well and relating to people well. Does that, does that make sense? And so even as Mandy said back there of like, some of us with the different gifts we have, we're better at it than others. I think because we've said spiritual conversations are this and look like this. And so if you have these certain gifts, that's an easier thing for you. And if you don't, that's a harder thing. I think the thing we need to do is kind of throw the model out and go, how has God called you to relate to people? That's the way you have not only spiritual conversations, just meaningful conversations, period. One of the big issues is that most of us have never been taught to be good at conversation of any kind, let alone some of these ones that feel more weighty. We are being discipled every single day, every time you turn on the TV, every time you pick up your phone, we're being discipled to talk at people, not with people. This is the way that the world communicates. Everything is a debate show. Everything is, are you on this side or on that side? And here's why. Here's why they're wrong. Ten reasons why. Whatever it might be. It's everywhere. We're being discipled. We're being taught. We're in a culture that's like a pressure cooker with this going, overcome them. Show them why they're wrong and why you're right. And it teaches us to talk at people. And the thing is, we all need to learn in every facet of our lives to get better at conversation, to notice people, to serve them, to listen, to be a good question asker about sports, about their job, about their marriage, about where they find themselves in relationship to Christ. It's the same skills, and it's going to look different for you than it is for me. I have found out I'm a lot bolder in conversation probably than some other people in this room, and I have no problem going, I don't agree with that. Now, I'm learning to do it in a more loving way, but that's not my issue. That boldness piece is not my issue. For me, it's going, okay, listen more. For some of you, you're really good listeners, but then there's that, I, I feel like I'm supposed to say something, but I just, and we have to grow in those things, but all of the conversations are meant to be spiritual. They're all meant to deepen our relationship with people so that they can see the hope that we have and we can tell them the source of it. Does that make sense, church? Proverbs 18.13 says this, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and disgrace for him. One of the areas, again, that our culture's discipling us is hit first and hit hard. Tell them why you're right and why they're wrong. And we, we're taught what to say. Rarely are we taught to actually listen, to actually hear the person. I've used this term a couple times, to seek to understand before we seek to be understood. The scripture just says it's foolishness and disgrace to give an answer before we've actually listened. We are called to be, as James says in 119, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We are discipled in exactly the opposite. And again, it applies in every area of our lives, whether we're talking sports or work or we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, we all have to work on these because we're discipled every day the other way. Proverbs 20, verse 5. I've, I've spent time in this passage lately because it, it just strikes me. The purpose of man's hearts are deep waters, 
but a man of understanding draws them out. Basically going, every person is unable to understand what's even happening in their own heart. And they need, when it says man of understanding, it means person, like mankind. They need people of understanding to help them draw out what's in their own heart. As we're having conversations with people, this is our goal. Again, whatever the conversation is, whatever the topic, how do I listen well? How do I ask good questions to help draw out what is in their heart? Because none of us are able to by ourselves. We need people of understanding to help draw out the deep waters. So this is what our past few weeks have been talking about, creating that space where we can have the kind of conversations that draw out what's in someone's heart. But we need to understand this because, again, we have this model in our mind that I don't think is accurate. Very few gospel decisions are made after one interaction. We said, I think it was last week, look, nobody in here is Billy Graham, myself included. He could probably walk into a room and just like, sit down and start with the gospel and people were just falling over at it. Most of us, not our story. And I don't think it was ever meant to be our story. Very few gospel decisions are made after one interaction. And by very few, I'm talking like, like decimal points of a percent. Most people, when they have decided to follow Christ, comes after numerous interactions with people. Part of our issue, I think, is we place so much pressure and that weight we were talking about on every single interaction because this needs to be the one. How do I like shoehorn Jesus into this conversation because this has to be the one? I got to get to a point where I go, heaven or hell, which one is it? That's why, we, that's why we've been taught, many of us, to start with, if you died today, where would you go? And they're like, hi, my name's Frank. Why would you ask me that? Like, we put so much pressure on every single interaction because we kind of have this idea that every single one of them, we got to get somebody to make a decision. And that's not what we find, either in the scriptures or just in life in general. One of the issues is we have thousands of years of history in one book. It's a thick book, but it's one book. And so we get these snapshots, and we don't get the weeks and months and years leading up to or that come after. Everything seems like this kind of one-shot deal. But in the reality, that's not how things worked then or work now. There's a very famous story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. So this was someone Jesus never should have talked to, according to the culture. She was a Samaritan, which made her a dog, literally, like just less than person. And she was a woman, someone Jesus never should have spoken to. But Jesus has this beautiful interaction with this woman. He's, he's traveling through Samaria, and it says that he is exhausted. Think about that. Jesus got exhausted. That one messed with me for a little bit. And it says, so he had to go to the well to get something to drink. His disciples went to get some food. And while he's there, there's this Samaritan woman drawing water. And Jesus begins to have this conversation with her. He starts by asking her, can you give me some water? And this woman is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You talking to me? She didn't like him either. He's, he was a Jewish man, which meant, I know what you people think of me. And so there's all this history coming in. And Jesus just lovingly, patiently begins to have this conversation with this woman. And he doesn't just jump into, I'm the Messiah. Stop talking to me like that. Follow me. He gives her 
what, again, in God's space, they refer to as spiritual appetizers. He drops these little breadcrumbs across the road just to see, is she curious? Is she going to kind of, is she going to keep coming in a little bit? And so she goes, what are, you, what are you talking about, like water? I don't give you water. And he said, if you knew who I really was, you would ask me and I'd give you water and you'd never thirst again. Her interest is piqued. And she's like, wait, I'd never have to use this stupid bucket and rope again? That sounds awesome. And he, he kind of just key presses a little bit. He's asking great questions. He's kind of leading her along until finally gets to the point where he's able to tell her, I am the Messiah. And this beautiful story comes to the point where this lady goes, I have to go tell everyone. And she runs back to the city and she's telling him, I've met the Messiah. He told me everything I've ever done. And, and it's beautiful. The problem is most of us read that story and we go, Jesus was like a spiritual sniper. One shot every time. Bang, bang, bang. That's all it took. And we either feel the pressure then of, I have to do the same thing. Every interaction has to be one shot. Or we go the other way and we go, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. Of course he was able to do it. And so his disciples come back to Jesus and they, they are kind of, they saw the lady running down the road yelling at the top of her lungs and they got groceries and they're like, what happened here? So they come to Jesus and they start kind of going like, hey, uh, you okay? Like it says that they had some questions. Who was she? What happened? But they didn't have the guts to ask him. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, he begins to talk to them and he says this. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So first of all, you can hear some of the things we were talking about last week. Jesus notices, and he calls his disciples to notice, open your eyes. Look at the harvest. But then he goes into this kind of confusing thing about the reaper and the sower, and we're not an agricultural society, and we're like, okay, cool. But listen to what he's actually telling them. I have sent you to reap what you have not worked for, Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. They're trying to figure out what is happening. How did Jesus just do that? We were gone for like a half an hour, and this lady's running through the streets screaming, he's the Messiah. What just happened? And Jesus is giving them a clue here. Even Jesus is saying, I'm standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before. Other people have planted seeds in this woman's life so that I could have this interaction with her today. Even Jesus wasn't going, I am just so good at this. She had no concept of who God was. It took me 10 minutes. Look at her now. Jesus is going, people, God has been working in this woman's life, putting people in her path up to this point where now I can reap a harvest. Think of all of the people in this woman's life who had shared with her the good news of God, who had called her to repentance. It, you find out in the story that she's had five husbands and the guy she's living with now is not her husband, which nowadays, kind of weird, but not a big deal. Back then, huge deal. Think of all of the people who had walked with her, who had told her, this isn't the way, God has more for you. And she ignored, she ignored, she ignored. How would those people have felt? We're failures. 
Why do we even keep bothering? She's not listening. Jesus, however, saw each one of those was seeds that have been slowly sprouting in this woman's life. That have been bringing her to a point where now she's ready to hear the good news. And so all we see in the scripture is Jesus reaping the harvest. But even Jesus tells his disciples, don't miss it. There have been many planting seeds in this woman's life. I simply got to come along at the right time and see the harvest be reaped. We have to get out of our head that everything lives or dies on this one conversation. Here's the way that the Apostle Paul viewed his ministry. Pastor Mark shared earlier about like the Apostle Paul just asking for boldness. We look at the Apostle Paul and we go, man, if anybody could walk in and in one conversation knock this thing out of the park. It had to be Paul, right? Here's how Paul talks about his ministry in his first letter to the church in Corinth. There was this guy named Apollos who was coming along. He, was, he would go to one town. Paul would go to another. Sometimes they'd switch or whatever. And there was this debate over who's better, Apollos or Paul. And people were starting to divide over this. And here's what Paul says. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes the things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul went, let me tell you, my job is to scatter seed. The people that were saying, hey, I follow Apollos or whatever, Paul would have looked at it and went, I failed. I shared the good news with them, and they didn't take it. But then this guy Apollos comes afterwards. He shares the good news, and all of a sudden, man, look at all these people coming to faith. Because Paul had gone and done the work first. Even though it would have looked to Paul like this isn't working. People aren't responding, but Paul took the long view. And he said, my job is simply to scatter seed. God makes it grow. Every interaction I have is weighty, but from the perspective of this is a part of someone's journey. This may not be the one where they fall on their knees and they go, Jesus is Lord. But what if that happens two years from now because I had this conversation with them now? Because I loved them well, because I served them. Maybe I didn't even get to share the good news of Jesus, but I told them, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray for you with that. And that was a seed planted. I got to share a little bit of my story with them, and it was a seed planted. And later, God brings along someone else that maybe you will never see to water that seed. And then someone else gets to come along, and man, it's their lucky day, because they kind of just fell face first into someone going, please tell me about Jesus. And they're like, I'm so good at this. Most of us. But Paul saw it right. My job is to scatter seed. My job is to, in every interaction I have with people, Try to help them just take one more step. They don't have to go the whole journey in one big leap, but to help them take one more step. Maybe there's been enough people going before me that they're ready to make that decision. Maybe they're not. My job is simply to scatter seed and allow God to make it grow. Do you see the difference? Do you see how that begins to remove some of the pressure off of all of those white-knuckle conversations? And I got to get it just right. How do I just love this person well right where they're at? just like Jesus would. 
trusting that God is going to continue to do his work. He's been working with them before this point, and he'll continue to work with them after. God, how are you calling me to love this person well right now? Do you see the difference? There's a... Uh, Pastor Brian McLaren, who I, I shared a quote from last week, and I, I started by going, there's a lot of things me and Brian disagree on theologically, but there's some things that I think he gets really, really right, and this is one of them. He says, much of our evangelism here in the United States was developed in a context of Christendom. Christendom, real quick, is, is where culture and the core beliefs of Christianity are kind of married together. Culture is kind of built on the core beliefs of Christianity. So it's not that everyone is a believer, but everyone has that familiarity with it. He says, much of our evangelism in the United States was developed in a context of Christendom in which just about everybody knew the basic information of Christianity and was favorably disposed to it. Evangelism got people to act on what they already knew and in a sense already believed. Not believed in terms of they had put their faith in it, but believed like the reason Christmas is so big in America is because everyone was able to go, yeah, Jesus on the cross. Sure, that happened. They, they at least had that like foundational belief in the information. You could call people to commitment relatively quickly. He said you could also use pretty forceful, persuasive techniques in dealing with them, or excuse me, in, with them. In dealing with postmoderns, you're dealing with people who do not know the basics of Christianity. If anything, they have a negative idea of what Christianity is. So it makes no sense to them if you come on too strong and quickly ask for a commitment. We should not, or excuse me, we should count conversations rather than conversions. Not because I don't believe in conversions, but because I don't think we'll get many conversions if we keep emphasizing them. What he's saying there is if we instead focused on, God, how do I just plant a small seed today? How, in its insensitivity to the Holy Spirit, God, what are you doing in this person's life? Where are they? Like letting him lead, but going, how do I just do my small part today? I think we would see far more conversions because too many of us with this old model, we go, okay, I got to bring up heaven and hell and Jesus' death on the cross and that they need to fall on their knees and people are going, whoa, too fast. Slow down. And we end up pushing them even further away instead of going, God, what, what part are you calling me to play today? How do I just begin to have a good conversation with this person so that they feel loved and the walls begin to come down? Maybe we'll be at that point where I can share the good news, but maybe not. If we started celebrating conversations, I think we would see more conversions. As long as we push conversions, we're probably going to reach too hard and push more people away. Theo gets it. There is absolutely, we have to understand this though, a time for clear gospel presentation. People do need to hear the good news of Jesus. We talked weeks ago and said, we're talking about changing the method, never the message. People need to hear that Jesus has died on the cross to pay for their sins so that they can be reconciled to God. No one is just going to know you well enough and love you enough that one day they find themselves magically in heaven. They need to make that decision and we need to be prepared to give that presentation to them, to tell them the best news that they've ever heard. Preparing for people for clear gospel presentation is something that, that the church of the past has done really well. Most of us have been through some kind of training or read some kind of book that shows you how to use the Romans road or uh, how to use this different gospel model. Most of us have a, a decent idea 
of if once somebody goes, okay, I want to believe in Jesus, just tell me how, we would be able to go, okay, you need to know you're a sinner. He died to pay for your sin. And now because of that, you can be reconciled to God if you walk with him. Like we would be able to get that out to them in some way. Most of us just don't know when is the time to do that. We either come in too early and we hit that wall those people have up and we go, oh, I guess it doesn't work. Or we just sit and wait too long and we miss the opportunities, which is equally as devastating. We have to be able to see when is the wheat ready to be harvested. And there are some signs that we can see in this. And again, this comes from God's space that he shares. He says, you know the wheat is beginning to ripen and harvest time is drawing near when... Seekers start initial, or initiating spiritual conversations on their own. When people start coming to you and going, hey, so I've been thinking about this. What do you? And they start bringing up spiritual things about what they believe, about what you believe, whatever it might be. When they start initiating, we should take note and go, okay, I think this wheat is getting ready for harvest. This person is, is getting close to being ready to hear the good news of Jesus. When the frequency and depth of their questions start to increase, when they start asking you more questions, more often, and the questions are going deeper, it's no longer just, hey, how was your week? But they they start having some real questions. Something's being awakened inside of them. The scripture says that all men must be drawn by Jesus. And when people start asking those questions more frequently and deeper questions, we see Jesus drawing them and we should take note. They begin to read their Bible on their own. Listen, this is not a normal thing. We can't get most Christians to read their Bibles. When non-Christians start reading Bibles on their own, it shows, again, they're awakening to something. There is this, this drawing. They're seeking answers. And when they've turned to the word, man, we have the best thing in common now, and we can start to have that conversation. They express sorrow, dissatisfaction, or fear about the direction their lives are taking them. They start to go, you know, I thought I had it figured out, but now I just, I don't know. I thought that this job would do it for me, but I'm just as unhappy as I ever was. I thought that if I had the perfect marriage and the perfect family, but I'm still just stressed all the time. I'm still, and we can begin to speak the hope that we have to them. When they want to spend more time with you, this one sounds a little weird. Like I tell Kim all the time, I'm delightful. Like, of course people want to spend time with me. And you're asking, does he really tell her that? He does. It's become somewhat of a joke, but I still partially believe it. (laughs) Not a time for laughter. (laughs) But when people start wanting to spend more time with us, and again, not because we've been the best secret Christian, we're living out loud. We are loving people well. People should not have to wonder, are they a Christian or not? That doesn't mean we beat them over the head with things, but they should see it in us. They should hear it in the way that we speak. Listen, it is a real thing. When somebody shares something, not a believer, and you just go, man, I praise God for that. That That is a bold witness in this day and age. And people go, oh, you're one of them? But you don't act like one of them, but you... There should be this kind of taking note of who we are. And when people see that and still want to spend more time with us, God is drawing them in. None of us is that delightful. (sighs) When they raise objections that make belief difficult. When they start to go, yeah, but what about this? 
yeah, I mean, that all sounds great, but how do you, how do you answer this? When they start raising the objections that they have, listen, here, here's another way to hear those objections. I want to believe, but I just don't know how to get past this. And when we could begin, you are going to see two pains cry. <laughs> when we can begin to see that as a good thing, a blessing from God, that they are actually digging and going, I want to know the truth. I want hope, but I just can't get over this hurdle. And when we can begin to walk with them through that and to go, you know, I struggled with the same thing. Or maybe even I still struggle with the same thing. But here's where I found hope. When people begin to raise objections, what we've been taught is we got to hammer them and show them that we're right. We have to overcome them. How dare they question the Bible? No. They're saying, man, I want to, but I just don't know how to get past this. I don't know what's actually going on in my heart. I need a man of understanding to come and help me draw out from the deep waters. We need to see our place in that, to come and walk with them and go, that is a really tough question. Let me walk with you in that. The harvest is ready. When we start to see some of these signs, wrestling always precedes belief. Honestly, the ones that scare me too much are the ones where people don't ask any questions and they just go, yeah, Jesus sounds good, I'm in. Are you really? I don't know that you've thought this through. I'll be honest, I have talked people out of following Jesus, and that sounds super weird, but going, whoa, 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 I want you to realize what this means. Jesus says, count the cost. I've seen people not willing to count the cost, just go, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, if it's that easy to get in, it's real easy to get out. And so I want to make sure that you really understand what you're getting into. I want them to wrestle with these things, and I want to walk with them as they do. I think one of the best tools in our tool belt is we have to know how to share our faith story. Like, having a tool that helps you just share the gospel really clearly is a great thing. On the same level, or maybe even a little better, I'm not going to go that far, is what God has done in your life. The best way to share the gospel with someone is to go, here's what Jesus has done in my life. And it wasn't until I realized that without his death and resurrection on my behalf, I was done for. This brings it home to people. This makes it real. Now it's not just some information, but it's you know me. And here is what's made the biggest difference in my life. Many of us have not told our stories in far too long we're not comfortable with our own stories. We don't even know them. And if I ever hear any of you say, well, but I don't have a good story, not like his or not like hers, I, I, will, I might lovingly smack you on the back of the head and go, stop doing that. Every story Jesus is a part of is a great story. God has given you the story he's given you on purpose, and it is useful in the lives of people. They need to hear how you found the hope that you have found. Too many of us don't know how to share our stories well. And so actually, 27 minutes ago, if you were a part of our church's email group, you got an email in your inbox that has some different questions to walk through that are going to help you discover what are the parts of my story that are powerful, that people need to hear. What, what was life like before I had faith in Jesus and what's it been different like since? And just to help you start to explore some of those things. So if you find yourself going, I don't really know what I would share with somebody if they asked me my story. I don't know what parts I would leave in and what parts I would take out. It's a great tool to just help walk you through. Uh, and so uh, that is in your inbox. If you aren't a part of our church's email, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'll forward it along to you. 
it's a great tool to have to help us get comfortable with our story because it's one of the most powerful tools in our tool belt. So I want to end our conversation this way by asking another question, one that came up last week and I think is a really important question. How do we rebuild burnt bridges? Someone shared last week and they said, you know, as I'm hearing all of this, I just keep thinking of all of the times that I came on too strong and pushed people away or all the missed opportunities, the bridges that I burnt or the, the conversations that I don't know that I'll ever be able to have again. They're gone. How do we begin to rebuild burnt bridges? Or maybe I'll even ask, can we rebuild burnt bridges? Or once you've done it wrong, is that the end of it? What do you think? Okay. No one's going to come to Jesus because you do everything perfect, because you don't do everything perfect. It, it is actually a really powerful thing for people to see you own mistakes, for, for people to see you come and, like she said, not excusing, not going, well, yeah, but if you wouldn't have asked, like, but just coming and going, man, I got that completely wrong. That is a really powerful witness to people. Jeanette, were you going to say something? No. Because that, and thank you, Mark, that's a, that's a good thing. Sometimes you may be called to rebuild other people's burnt bridges. One of the things, I mean, so again, a couple weeks ago, we talked about people's pre-conversation history has a big impact. Every interaction they've had with a Christian before the day you're talking to them weighs on them. They bring that into the conversation, and other Christians haven't always done things right. And some bridges are burned before you even get there. Sometimes it is you, and you can go, no, I remember that day. I stuck my foot in my mouth. I got angry. I, I defended whatever it may be, and it was me. Sometimes just through talking with that person, you go, boy, you've been hurt by some other Christians. So yeah, it, it's either one. Thank you, Mark. That's a really good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes incredible amounts of humility to go to them and to go, hey, I was wrong. And it seems almost backwards from a fleshly standpoint because we want to stand at a point of going, I have everything figured out. I have what you need. Listen to me. But when that has to start with, I've really messed this up. Like, it, we go, whoa, then no one's going to listen to what we have to say, are they? Man, people will be leaning in when we would come and go, I love you, but I screwed up and I'm sorry.
Yeah. Kim and I were having a conversation. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word it because I don't want to. There was another church that had something on their sign that we were talking about just going, I don't agree with that. And not to throw the church, that church under the bus. I think they're doing the best they can with what they have. But there was this idea that first you come to Jesus, then you belong to us. You know, the, come to Jesus, then we'll accept you was kind of the basic message. And I had read it at one point, and Kim, like a week later, goes, yeah, I saw this. And I don't know, it got me thinking, really what our message should be is, I accept you wherever you are, first and foremost, and I really hope you believe. You can belong here. You can belong with me regardless. I'm going to do everything in my power to keep that bridge unburned or to start one beam at a time rebuilding that bridge because you belong here regardless of what you believe. Because that's what God did to us, right? He didn't go believe first, then I'll accept you. He said, even while we were still sinners, he paved the way. And so part of this rebuilding bridges, especially when people bring these bags of hurt in, it starts with going, you are accepted. Even if you never put your faith in Jesus, I will still walk with you and love you. That is such a powerful gift that we can give people. And you want to talk about rebuilding bridges. I don't have to earn anything from you. I don't have to say it just right or do it just right. You love me even before? Yeah, because that's what he does. It's such a powerful witness. Other thoughts? I will say, in my own experience, when it comes to rebuilding burnt bridges, whether ones I burned or someone else did, most often, the most powerful thing I can say is purely, I'm really sorry that happened to you. They don't need an answer. They don't need a, but here's why, or but let me make it okay. I can't make it okay. It sucks that that happened to you, and I'm sorry. 
whether I did it, whether someone else did it, and I don't need to throw them under the bus and go, our church would never do that, but their church, like, it, it's not that game. But again, I'm just trying to connect with this person and to let them know, I am sorry that that happened to you. I can't fix it, but I, I'm, my heart breaks for you in that. That is a really powerful thing. Linda? Yeah, and especially as you begin to, to have a deeper relationship with that person, to be able to speak to them and go, man, don't let their mistakes rob you of the hope that God is offering you. That, that was wrong and that was hurtful and I'm sorry, but don't miss out because that person missed it. Like, that can be a really powerful truth to share with someone. Again, all of this kind of comes back. It's a cycle, which leads to more listening. Instead of just going, I know how to fix this one. You know, or yeah, me too, anyway, and just trying to move on. But just spending time listening, going, man, how did that make you feel? I'm really sorry for that. Have you and that person had any more conversations since then? You know, being really good question askers, listening, seeking to serve, and it just keeps going. And as people, like, because again, when somebody lets the wall down enough to tell you, here's what's hurt me, and you don't put defenses up, you you just keep digging with them, that is a meaningful and powerful thing to people. They, like, not only did I feel heard when we were just talking about life, but I, I tried. I told them, hey, I've been hurt before in this. And they continued to listen and ask really good questions and keep leaning in. That is such a powerful witness to people. So by way of responding to our time here together, We're going to have an opportunity to take communion. Because the whole point of these last conversations the past few months about the mission that God has given us always draws back to what Jesus has done. Being invited to this table is everything. By being invited, I mean accepting the invitation that Jesus has given us to walk with him, to come into his family, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to God is everything. And to be able to offer that to other people, again, a long journey, but to walk with them to the point where they accept the invitation to this table, what is greater than that? What is more lasting than that? And again, I'm not trying to put more pressure on your next interaction, but just to focus us. The goal of all of this is not that people think Christians are awesome or church is great, but that they come to see that God loved them so much that even in the midst of their sin, he died for them so that they could be reconciled, brought back into relationship with their heavenly father. This has to be the thing that focuses us, that drives us. This is why we work as hard as we do in the office. This is why we lead our families as well as we do, because we want them to see even more clearly that it's through the power of what Jesus has done for us. And we want them to accept that invitation for themselves. So I'm going to ask Bree if you would come up. And as she leads us through uh, this last song, Before the Throne of God Above, 
Let this be a time of reflecting on what God has done for you, but also for those people that he has placed in your life. As you come, and again, every time I taste bread with grape juice on it, my mind is kind of transported. Let that be a reminder to you, Lord, may they one day be able to receive this as well. May they find the joy in this one day that I do now. And let that focus your relationship, your interactions with them. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is a long road to walk with people. This is not easy work that you have called us to. There are so many preconceived notions and, and hurts that people have. There's so many uh, things we need to do to even get out of our own way. I mean, this is not easy work. But I thank you that you will never leave or forsake us. You will be with us to the very end of the age, taking every step along with us, giving us wisdom and insight, knowing when to speak and when to be quiet, knowing how, how hard to press and when to just let things be and all the stuff that, man, we can just get ourselves so worked up over. You are not worried about any of it. You are on your throne. You are exalted in power. May we just continue to lift our eyes to you and go, Jesus, lead me in this next day. Help me to see the people that you've called me to. Help me to love them well. May we know through your Holy Spirit when to ask and when to step back and when to be quiet and when to speak. None of this concerns you at all. You have it all figured out, and we trust you with it. So, Lord, would you move? Would we be able uh, to have more and better conversations with people leading one day, God, we pray, toward a presentation of the best news they've ever heard and then being moved from death to life? This is a work that only you can do, Lord Jesus. May we just partner well with you. In Jesus' name, amen.